This morning, the compelling voice of Jesus is our message. The words of John 7 are words that I hope will never leave us. Never man spoke like this man. The setting of this passage is a question, who is this man? And they were supposed to bring Jesus back to the high priest and the Pharisees, but the officers came back empty-handed. And when they were asked by the leaders, why have you not brought him? Their answer was this answer. Never man spoke like this man. Now, what kind of an answer is that? It was uh, an answer of power. It was not one of force in the sense of physical force, but it was an answer of power. His words were so powerful that they said, we, we just couldn't do it. There was no way that we could penetrate what he said to bring him back. Never man spoke like this man. Now, the Living Bible puts this verse in a very interesting way. This is how it reads. He says such wonderful things, they mumbled. We've never heard anything like it. And I want you to know that that's exactly true today, even though this was 2,000 years ago. We've never heard anything like it. He says such wonderful things. Now, the human voice is an amazing tool. Man is the only animal to whom God has given the gift of speech. Now, I know some of you think your animals talk, but to man alone has been given the gift of speech. The others, at best, it's a bark or a meow or a meh or something, a whinny. My son Randy could do that really good when he was little. He could even wiggle his nose when he would do that. And my grandson Caleb can sound just like Bugs Bunny. Terrific interpretation. But man is the only one that's been given the gift of speech, and how unique is this thing called the voice. We can say, I love you. The human voice can sing praises to God. And how wonderful that is. One can make wishes known to another with the voice. You can express appreciation to people for things done. You can pray with this voice God has given. What a tool. What an instrument. It is said of Chrysostom of Constantinople, the greatest Greek father, who was called the golden-mouthed, that he had a voice so resonant that it just froze his audience. George Whitfield was the first of what I would call the modern-day evangelists back in the Great Awakening period of 1700s in the eastern part of this nation, George Whitfield would preach outdoors because there were no auditoriums to hold the people coming to his meetings, and he would preach day after day, I mean day after day with no break, to crowds of 20,000 people out of doors with no microphones or PA systems, and his voice never gave out, still with power, and everyone could hear him in the crowd. George Whitfield, leather-voiced prophet of God. John Wesley, when he was over 70 years of age, he was speaking regularly to audiences of over 20,000 people. 
with power, majesty, his voice strong. And some of you have been thinking of retiring. John Wesley preaching with that unique instrument God gave him, the voice. I heard uh, Lloyd John Ogilvie some years ago, the pastor of the North Hollywood Presbyterian Church, and when he opened his mouth and that rich voice came out, I thought, oh, man. If I could only sound like that. What a gift. Spurgeon, one of my favorites. I know none of us here were ever privileged to hear him in person, but he would preach to congregations of 2,000 morning and night in his church for many years, just went on and on, morning and night. And it was said that you could hear his words in the back row of the tabernacle, clearly. And yet the people on the front row were not overwhelmed with his voice. How powerful is this thing called the voice. But we have not come today to talk about the compelling voice of Whitfield or Spurgeon or Ogilvy. We have come to think and talk about the compelling voice of Jesus. When you get your idea formed or framed of his voice, suddenly you think of other scriptures, like Revelation 1.15, where it says his voice was like the voice or the sound of many waters. Now that's got to be kind of awesome when you talk about somebody's voice being as the sound of many waters. But that's the way John described his voice. But friends, there's something more important than his voice. His words. His words. When asked why the officers did not bring him back, they said it was the way he talked. He said such wonderful things. Never man spoke as he speaks. Believing Hebrews 13, 8, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. Let us hear what he says to us today. Let us pay attention to his words through his compelling voice. What I have done is to go through the Gospels and slip out four things that Jesus said that I feel he wants to speak to us today. So I hope you will open your Bible to the passage that I refer to as we look at the words of Jesus. The first is in Luke chapter 13, verse number 5. Luke chapter 13, verse number 5. This is what Jesus said. Except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. Now, I'm glad he said that. I received in the mail, not too long ago, a packet of material from Sun Yun Moon. Videotape, book, 
letter. You may have read about it in the paper. To 300,000 ministers in America, the Unification Church sent out this packet of material to indoctrinate us into the Unification Church. And I have it in my library. I plan to use the tape to copy something else on rather than buying another tape. <laughs> I appreciate his contribution to my ministry. When that material came and when I read of what his effort was, I thought, oh, thank you, Jesus, for your words. You see, I'm not even tempted to look at the tape. I'm not tempted to even read the books. Why? Because I'm narrow? No, not at all. Because of the words of Jesus, I don't need to look any further. And there are people everywhere today scurrying here and there for truth, looking for answers. Jesus gave us the truth. He narrowed this thing down so beautifully for me. And I feel so satisfied and so fulfilled in his words. Except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. Thank you, Lord. I don't have to go any further than that. I need to repent. I need to accept God's grace, God's way of eternal life through Jesus Christ. And I'll have everlasting life. When a man sees himself as a lost sinner, when he wants to be saved, when he wants his sins forgiven, when he wants to find hope for the life to come, he must repent of his sins and look up in faith to the Lord Jesus Christ. Be sorry for his sins. Forsaking those sins, he has everlasting life. It's that simple. The words of Jesus confirm it. Except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. You don't have to look any further than that. You don't have to listen to any more tapes. You don't have to go to any more cities or towns or countries. You don't have to go to statues. You don't have to go to holy places. You don't have to find any more material. All you need to do is hear the voice of Jesus and believe it and respond and you'll have what he said. Everlasting life. I was reading an article some time ago that sort of explained this to me. So I'll try to paint the picture for you as I saw it in this article. It had to do with a fire in a sanitarium in another city. And it was explaining this fire that on the first two floors from the front of the building, the firemen were getting the people out and were being very successful when some of the firemen heard cries from behind the building and some of them ran behind the building and from the third floor they saw four men in a window pleading for help and so quickly they secured ladders and they went up but they couldn't reach and so they strung a net 
they put a net down below and said to those four, jump, the net will save you. And three of them did immediately. And were saved. They were not burned or harmed. The net saved them. But the fourth, before the three others jumped, said, I am afraid to risk the net. Those were his words. I'm afraid to risk the net. He turned from the window and was gone when the fire was under control and they searched through the rubble. They found his charred body at the back of the building. He never got out. His friend said, these were his words. I am afraid to risk the net. Now, friends, without Christ, men are in danger of the eternal flames. A man must repent of his sins and put his trust in Christ. It's simple. It's the safe way, and it's the only way. But you have to trust the net. And that's where we fail so often. We look, we search, we think, maybe there's another way. Maybe there's a simpler way. Maybe there's a more logical way. Friends, thousands before you have sought for an easier way or a more logical way, and they have not found anything. They've come up empty. You have to risk the net. You have to take the leap. Except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. You've heard me say it many times. There are not many ways, there's one way. And he is the way. Hear his words. If you're one of those searchers, one of those compelled from somewhere within you to look for answers, you don't feel satisfied, you don't know about tomorrow. You have no hope for the future. Hear the compelling voice of Jesus who said, Except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. Now years after he spoke those words, his followers were heralding those words. Peter, in Acts 4, verse 12, said, Neither is there salvation in any other. For there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby ye must be saved. Peter said it, having heard Jesus say, Except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. There is no other name. He underscored it. There is no other way. There's no other name. There's no other avenue. There's no other hope. It's only Jesus. It's Jesus alone. Jesus only. Jesus all the way. Only Jesus. Except ye repent. You shall all likewise perish. And I'm glad he said that. I don't have to spend my life searching. I don't have to come up to the day I die and say, I'm still wondering. I'm still unsure. I still don't know. I can say today, I know that I know that I know I am saved. I have trusted him and I believe him with all of my heart. Let's look at Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven. Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven for some other words of Jesus. You're familiar with these words, I believe. 
Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. The words of Jesus. Now, I would like for you sometime, and even right now in your mind, to make a list of the things and people that you love. When Jesus spoke in Matthew 22, 37, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy strength and with all thy mind, he was talking about priorities. Now, in making your list of priorities, where's God? Where do you put God? These are the words of Jesus. Where do you put God? If you're really honest, really truthful, where does Jesus fit in the list? Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy strength and with all thy mind. And rather than taking time to explain each of those phrases, heart, soul, strength, mind, let me just tell you it means all of you. Fair enough? All of you, every part of you should be wrapped up in him. Priority one, love God. Matthew 6.33, Jesus said, if you want the kingdom, you seek it first. And all the other things then he adds to you. But in that great sermon on the mount, he said, this is what has to be at the top of the list. Seek first the kingdom and all the rest will come in time. Now I have observed people for many years in their response to loving God and it's interesting to see what happens when they begin to love God with this verse in mind. <laughs> People who before were spending Sunday mowing the grass, going skiing, boating, polishing the car, or a thousand other things that I could name, thinking that we were squares for wanting to go to church, suddenly find themselves in church and enjoying it, they become a square too. <laughs> and they're smiling about it. And they're happy about it. And the friends on the other side now say to them, what in the world is going on? How come you don't do these things anymore? You're always going to church. Why don't you have some fun? And these people say, I am. I'm having fun. Oh, come on. No, really. I'm having fun. It's fun to be in church. And I even go to Sunday school for more fun. And I go back on Sunday night. Do you know the haven of rest will be in our church Sunday night? I'm so excited. I can hardly wait till Sunday night. I'm going to have fun. And they scratch their head and walk off to their boat <laughs> thinking they're having fun. It's amazing what happens when you begin to love God. And do you know something? These people start carrying one of these around. It says, Holy, Bi Holy Bible. Carrying them around. 
And as you know, usually it's bigger than this one at first. It, it narrows down the older you get. <laughs> the new folk have the big ones. And when you really are old in the faith, you carry it inside here, a little dinky one, you know, real tiny. But something has happened. Suddenly this book that they only opened after Grandma died to see what Grandma had underlined becomes a living word to them. Suddenly this book that's been sitting around their house gathering dust becomes a diet daily, as important as breakfast, lunch, or dinner. And they're devouring it, and they're underlining it, and they're wearing it out. <laughs> they found it to be a living word. Isn't that something? When you love God with your heart, soul, mind, strength, the Bible suddenly lives. And if it was the only book you ever could afford... It would be enough because in it are the wisdom of the ages. In this book there is knowledge. In this book there is everything you have need of in this life and the life to come. If you only had one book on your library shelf, this would be enough. This one book, this one volume, the Holy Bible, it's enough. Everything you need. And these people are devouring it, and they're carrying it, and they're reading it on their lunch hour, and their break, and in their car. I see them at the light reading it. I carry one by me. So when there are, there are delays, and that, that little thing flops down over the railroad track, you can just pull it out there. And it, Hallelujah! Glory to Oh, wow! <laughs> Oof! The Word of God. Because you've believed what he said. And incredibly enough, these people who are smiling and enjoying church and they're reading the Bible, do you know what? They're giving and love it. They're writing out checks to the Lord. And they're giving money to the church to spread the gospel and loving it. And before, they were always critical, always asking for money. Oh, money, 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 money. What in the world? They're just smiling. They're, Come on, send the plate. I want to give. They can't wait till it comes by because the glory fills their soul when with a smile they drop in God's tithe and their offering. Easy. When you love God with all your heart, Last Sunday, I was so blessed when I announced about this little lady whose family didn't have money to bury the husband and asked if you wanted to contribute anything to see her over here after church, brought by another lady in our congregation. I looked, there were lines of people waiting to give her gifts. She came into the office afterward for some help to count this money, and some checks had to be stamped, and one of the associates came and said, Pastor, there was over $2,000 there in that pile of money. <laughs> and 
And some more came in this week, and she wrote me a letter this week. I wish I had time to read you of something she'd never experienced in her life, such an outpouring of love and of caring and concern. She was just absolutely overwhelmed. Now, some of the folk in that line, you just wouldn't believe that they would do that because they were in Dickens' play. Their name was Scrooge. exact picture of old Scrooge. (laughs) I'm not going to give. I refuse to give. I'm not going to give anything. I made it. I earned it with my own strength and my own might, and I'm going to keep it for myself. I'm not going to give it away. It's mine. I'm not going to let anybody else have. It's mine, and I'm not going to give it away. I'm going to keep it for myself. What happened to them? They're waiting in line when they could be going to dinner to spend the money on themselves. They're giving it to somebody they don't even know. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy strength, and with all thy mind, and thy neighbor as thyself. Oh, the words of Jesus. Hallelujah. It's what the world needs. It would transform the world overnight if we'd just hear his voice. Let's try Matthew eleven twenty-eight. Now, I had to memorize this verse in my early days because it was up in front of my home church on a sign over the door on the left-hand side of the front of the tabernacle. Matthew eleven twenty eight. It was there week after week, year after year. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. The words of Jesus in front of our church. Come unto me. Some of you have come today to church burdened. The bottom has dropped out. What do you need? You don't need welfare, society, necessarily. You don't need some psychologist to guide you through the crises. You need the words of Jesus. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Oh, what words. He's the answer. He's the comforter. I will be with you all the way, even unto the end of the age, is the way he ended the gospel. I think my favorite story on this verse, if you've heard it before, forgive me, it's just such a great story, I can't resist. In the East, they use trains a lot. And this very heavy set man was running to catch his train And he was a little bit late, and the train had started out, so he was reaching for that little bar by the side of the steps, and he caught hold of it as the train was moving, and he got on the steps, sweating profusely, breathing heavily, broke through the door and found the first seat he could sit in. And as he slipped into the seat, sweating and breathing heavily, He noticed the little lady next to him was reading a New Testament. 
when he caught his breath, he said, what are you reading? And she said, the words of Jesus. Well, he said, what does he say? And her eyes fell on Matthew eleven twenty eight. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He said, let me see that. She handed him the New Testament, and he read it with his eyes getting larger by the moment. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden. That's as far as he could get. He said, do you know what my name is? He said, no, of course not. He said, my last name is Laden, and my friends call me heavy. <laughs> and heavy Laden said, I never knew I was in the Bible. How do you find this? And that dear little saint of God, ordered of the Spirit, said to heavy laden, Jesus said, come unto me, and I'll give you rest. And heavy laden on that train took Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 as his verse and walked into the kingdom of God. His burdens were lifted and his cares were covered in a moment of faith because of the words of Jesus. Oh, what words. Numbers of times at funerals where crises has developed bringing about a death. I've used the story of John 11 and the death of Lazarus. What did the sisters of Lazarus do when Lazarus died? They did what everybody should do. They sent for Jesus. It's a beautiful story, but often we overlook the order that they went through. The brother died. They sent for Jesus, and Jesus came, and he brought words of comfort, and he said, your brother will rise again. And they said, yeah, Lord, we know in the resurrection. Now he said, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me shall never die. Believest thou this? And he said, take off the grave clothes, set him free. What do you do when the brother dies and the bottom drops out and the crisis comes? The smart thing to do is to do what he said. Come unto me. Somebody confessing their guilt this week to me said, there was this problem in our family and we tried this and we tried this and we tried this and then we decided we'd better pray. All the other options were gone and useless and they said, we, we now, we'd better pray now. <laughs> oh, we're a bunch of beggars, aren't we? We lose so much blessing by not coming first to Jesus. Why don't we think of that first instead of last? When his words are these, come unto me, and I, I will give you rest. The compelling voice of Jesus. The English artist Romney married a fine young woman but art was his greatest passion. In his studies, Sir Joshua Reynolds told him that he had talents 
great talent, and that he could become a tremendous artist if he were not burdened with a wife. He would have to give himself to his art. So Romney left his wife, went to London, highly successful after a time. His pictures were selling for huge sums of money. But one thing Romney didn't count on was old age and ill health. And years later, he was unable to care for himself and had no one, no one to care for him. When the wife of his youth heard of it in a distant city, she quickly went to London. She found Romney and she said, I will care for you the rest of your life. I have loved you all of these years. I have never married anyone else. I am still your wife. And I will serve you until you die. And she nursed him, cared for him tenderly as long as he lived. I think about that sometimes in our situations. The world bruises us. Through stupidity and wrong decision, we sometimes walk away from the one who loves us the most. In the process, we become destitute like the prodigal in the pig pen. With a heavy heart, we suddenly think, what have I done? Where will I go? When some words come flooding through our memory, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And the thought is, will he receive me? Will he care when I've done what I have done to him? The answer is yes. You just look and you will see his arms open. You will see his smile. You will see his loving, come, welcome. He's there. He's just waiting for you to come. No matter how far you've gone away, no matter how bad you have been, and even now, some of you are getting this guilt complex that he couldn't care because of what you've done. It doesn't matter what you've done. He said, come, and I believe he wants me to come. No matter what I've done, no matter how far I've gone, he means what he says. Come, and I will give you rest. Don't hesitate to come because his arms are open and his heart reaches out in love to you. Oh, how the world needs those words. Now let's take one more, Matthew 16, 26. Matthew 16, 26. For what is a man profited, profited if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? Words from the lips of Jesus. In a day of incredible materialism, in a day when people have to work seven days a week and open the shop seven days a week, it always grates me when I read their signs and their ads, open Sunday from blah to blah, and I think, poor souls, poor souls. What is a man profited if he gained the whole world and lose his own soul? What will a man give in exchange for his soul? Church, hear me today. 
It is easy to get caught up in the swirl of materialism. To give your soul to things, to labor that will never satisfy, and to die with money in the bank and houses in the estate. But I have never had a funeral yet where anybody took their checkbook with them in the casket. Not once has it ever occurred. And almost every time before the casket closes and the minister's job is to stay there and make sure that the body remains in the casket and the casket that's wheeled out has the same body in it that the people viewed when they went by. Did you know that? That's why the minister stays by the casket. To alleviate any fear in the loved one that they had done something else with the body. And I have witnessed hundreds of times standing there, the only one other than the undertakers, slip off the rings, take off the glasses, take the pins from the lapels, put them in an envelope to give back to the family because, friend, there's none of that that goes beyond that casket. It all goes to somebody else. What is a man profited if he gained the whole world but lose his own soul? I have seen diamonds and watches worth thousands of dollars. I had one in my hands not too long ago, a watch. It was worth $15,000, one watch. It was on the wrist of a friend of mine by the name of Sam. We were at a meeting together. I was the chairman of the meeting. I said, Sam, that watch, let me see it. He took it off and he put it in my hand. It must have weighed two pounds. Solid gold. Circled with diamonds, real diamonds, not fake, real. I said, Sam. What is that thing worth? He said, $15,000. He said, a client gave it to me for a job I did for him. I said, well, Sam, you're a layman and I'm a minister. And remember, God ever speaks to you about giving. I said, Sam, I've had this Croton for 23 years. It's been my watch since my 10th wedding anniversary, and it's still running, and I can't get another one because it runs. But I said, someday it's going to stop, Sam. Remember me when you come into your kingdom. I've never seen a watch like that in my life. Now, maybe that'll bring you back to church every Sunday just to see what I have on my arm. I have seen diamonds worth thousands and thousands of dollars. I've seen the Hope Diamond in the Institute in Washington. But I want to tell you, folk, your soul is worth infinitely more than all of that put together. Your soul is worth infinitely more than all this world could dazzle you with. Infinitely more. 
What is a man profited if he gained the whole world and lose his own soul? Just remembered I looked at it and didn't pay any attention to what time it was. <laughs> now I have. You know Queen Elizabeth I had 10,000 dresses in her wardrobe? Where's my wife? <laughs> 10,000 dresses. My stars are living. Can you imagine how early she had to start getting ready for the evening just to make a decision? Eight o'clock in the morning, she started looking them over for the evening. My wife comes in, one in this hand and one in this. She says, which one do you think would look the best on me? And I say, honey, on you, they would both just be elegant, either one. That's the easy way out. I dress myself, why doesn't she dress herself? I don't hold up this and I say, what do you think? I, think, I just put it on. <laughs> Take it or leave it. This is it. I chose. I picked. I made the decision. You now say, you maybe should ask her help. <laughs> 10,000 dresses in one wardrobe. My star. Her kingdom stretched from shore to shore. Queen Elizabeth I. Do you know what she said when she came to die? Here are her words. Millions for an inch of time. That's it. That's what she said. Millions for an inch of time. Jesus said, in my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you that where I am there, you may be also. A reporter from the Sacramento Bee called me the other day. Her name was Lee. I didn't know her. She just phoned. She said, I'm writing an article for the paper on heaven, and I'd like to ask you some questions. I said, fine. I haven't been there yet, but I'm planning. She said, do you believe that heaven is a literal place? Oh, yes. I said, Jesus said so. I go to prepare a place for you. Where's that? I said, John 14. Oh. All right. Where do we get this idea that there are mansions in heaven? I said, same passage. In my Father's house are many mansions. Oh, is that right? Mansions. I said, now, Lee, not like Beverly Hills. You've never seen anything like this. Whatever God has prepared is going to be far greater than anything man could devise down here. All right, she said, what about streets of gold? Come on now, streets of gold. Well, I said, John saw them. Now, why would there be streets of gold? I said, very simple. Everything in heaven is going to be so pure, so spotless, so out of what we know today as impure and sinful that we walk on. The thing we know is the most pure, gold. It comes through the fire. It's refined. The Bible says... If you want to really see what purity is, take a look at gold. It's refined in the fire. It's pure, and we walk on it in heaven. Heaven is so pure and so fabulous, streets of gold. Oh, 
And I said, by the way, I'm looking forward to it. I don't know if she'll quote that, but I said, I'm looking forward to it. And then she said this. This is always the big one, you know. You have to move to the other side. She said, what about hell? Well, I said, Lee, read Luke 16. A rich man died and went to hell. Literal. Jesus said it. She said, is it, is it pain? I said, constant. How do you know? Luke 16. He was in torment. Oh, he said, she said, that's why Lazarus was asked to come with some water. Cool his tongue. I said, you got it. Same passage. She said, I remember that. Torment, everlasting. I said, it's like the burning bush. It was burning, but it never consumed. So there is a fire that never ends. It can keep burning and burning. She thanked me. I'm anxious to see the article. What does it profit you, friend, if you gain everything this world can offer, but you lose those streets of gold and those mansions and a pure life forever serving God? The Christians are led into the Roman Colosseum. The lions are roaring. The crowds are chanting. The glory of God shines in their faces and Nero looks at them and says to his aide, they see something we do not see. Absolutely. You're right. I pray God you see it. And you hear it. This compelling voice of Jesus. The modern theologians, Barth, Bonhoeffer, Bruner, Boltman, and Tillich met the Lord, it is said. The Lord asked these famed dogmatists, who do men say that I am? And they replied, some say you are John the Baptist, raised from the dead. Some say you are Jeremiah, one of the prophets. And even some say you are the Christ, the Son of God. Then the Lord said to the theologians, but who do you say that I am? And Barth, Bonhoeffer, Bruner, Boltman, and Tillich chorused back their answer. Thou art the ground of being. Thou art the leap of faith into the impenetrable unknown. Thou art the unphrasable, unverbalized, unpropositional confrontation with the infinitude of inerrant subjective experience. And the Lord looked at them and said, Huh? Nonsense! The words of Jesus are understandable. They're plain and they're pure and they're powerful. And if you will hear his voice, you will be able to say without one moment's hesitation, I am ready for today and I'm ready for tomorrow. Hallelujah. Life will be full, your future secure. You hear the voice of Jesus. It's enough forever. Hallelujah. Now, in the first service, when I got to this very point, somebody's wristwatch alarm went off. <laughs> Literally. 
I'm sure some deacon fixed that. I don't know who yet. A new twist. Having heard no alarms, however, in this service, I pause to say, I'm through. <laughs> God's spirit has been in this room in a very beautiful way. I have been simple, forthright, clear. We've got to get back to the basics. Who do men say that I am? Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God, and I hear you, Jesus. I hear you, Jesus, and I'm going to follow you, Jesus. Though I may not understand it all, I hear you, and I'm going to obey. Let's stand together, please. There is a line of a great old hymn, I am thine, O Lord, I have heard thy voice, and it told thy love to me. I want us to sing it, and as we do, wherever you are standing in this great service, and you don't know Jesus personally, if you were to die today, you would not know where you would go. You can know you're going to heaven and that everything is secure by receiving Christ. And I ask you to do that today by slipping into an aisle and coming here to pray with me. I am thine, O Lord, you can sing with us. I have heard thy voice. It's a compelling voice. You've searched many places and in many ways come to Jesus. And then there are others of you who have been spending so much of your energy and time after things. Oh, my good friend, stop. Turn around. Look to Jesus. Stop the rat race. Join the spiritual race. You may need to come and say, this act of stepping forward is a sign that I'm going to change my attitude and way. I'm going to hear his voice. What does it profit me if I gain everything but I lose my soul? If I lose my family, if I lose my health, my sanity, what have I gained? Hear Jesus' voice. You come, won't you? My associates will be standing facing you, welcoming you, and we're going to pray together. And Jesus is going to minister and I ask you to come. As soon as we begin singing, don't hesitate. The Spirit of God has been talking to you through this service. Obey Him. As we sing, you come. <laughs>